there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! We are actually wrapping up a six-week series on the Holy Spirit entitled Third Person. Uh, Now, just let me tell you the premise way back in week one. uh, We developed this series because you probably are like me. You can identify with God as a father, and you can identify with Jesus because he was a human and he was a son. Um, But a lot of us have trouble kind of recognizing and and identifying uh, with the Holy Spirit. He is part of the Trinity of God, um, but we kind of treat him as a, like a third person. And so we wanted to go deep, uh, and, and we, we have. We've been uh, having this, and then this Wednesday is our last spring study on the Holy Spirit. I'm kind of sorry to, to see that end, uh, but I know summer is upon us, and we're going to go a million different directions. Um, but, but let me say this before, uh, before I get into my message. Uh, I am absolutely overwhelmed uh, by watching the Holy Spirit move in and through some of your lives. Um, <clears throat> I've been pressing you and encouraging you, challenging you to, to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to ask him to lead you, to prompt you, to guide you. And I have been just overwhelmed with all of these positive emails and text messages and, and phone calls about some of you saying, you know, I, I was a little skeptical, so I started doing this, and it has totally rocked my world. And um, that's what the Holy Spirit does, I'm, I'm finding out. And last week's message was brutal. Uh, it was on sexual sin and how, it, how that affects our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I had person after person come up to me and say, hey, uh, I don't know if you were like staring at me the whole time, but I felt like you were talking directly to me. And I said, well, that's the Holy Spirit. You know, remember back in week one, we said one of the ways the Holy Spirit helps us is to convict us of our sin. Um, that's what he's doing right now. And so just I, have, I could just literally stand up here and tell you story after story of, of, of all these cool things that happen, but then I wouldn't be able to close this series out. Uh, but I'm just super, super a- a- excited about it. So We're going to close this out today, and and let me say this, uh, this is one of four series on the Holy Spirit uh, that we're doing through an 18-month period, so this is, you're going to hear more and more about him uh, after the, after you get back from the beach and the lake this summer and we reconvene. So um, we're going to close this thing out today, uh, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, but before I begin, let me just share with you a little story. Uh, I, I had never heard of this guy, the great Norwegian explorer. Rold, uh, I'm going to butcher this last name, Admason. Um, apparently, he's the one that discovered the, the magnetic uh, meridian on the North Pole, like the very top of the earth. Now, this was years and years ago before satellites and, and cell phones. Um, and so when he left, you know, his wife didn't know if he was going to freeze to death, if he was going to come back. So he took with him a homing pigeon. And when he finally reached the top of the world, he opened up that cage and he released that pigeon. That thing flew all the way back to Norway. And so you can imagine his wife 
looking up into the sky and seeing that pigeon finally circling above. And, and, and she said to herself, he's alive. My husband is still alive. We opened this series up in John 14, when Jesus, in John 14 through 16, when Jesus said, hey, I'm about to leave. But don't worry, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit down to, to you. And he's going to help you, and he's going to comfort you, and he's going to fulfill these promises I, I made to you. And so they just waited, and they waited. Think about the joy they had on what we call the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit finally descended on them. Uh, the disciples now had this constant reminder that Jesus was alive, and he was victorious, and he's at the right hand of the Father. And so what I want you to understand this morning is we have that same Holy Spirit of God with us today. I think a great term to describe the Holy Spirit is the term magnanimous. Um, if, if you were to call someone magnanimous, um, it, it's a person who is very generous and forgiving, especially towards someone that's less powerful than themselves. All right, and so think about that term magnanimous when you talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, he, has, he possesses, he is more powerful than all of us. He possesses all the power of God. He is omniscient. He is all-powerful. There's nothing that he can't do. But he's also very generous. Um, he brings great gifts to the church. And so with that in mind, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today. And I'll say this, I don't think we give Acts chapter 2 enough credit. I think for the church, this is the most pivotal chapter in the Bible. Because this is when Jesus' promise is fulfilled. That the Holy Spirit would come down and he would kickstart a movement that would become known as the church. And so Jesus died, he resurrected, he ascended. And when he left, he said, hey, just go to this House in this upper room must have been a big room. Just wait. There was 120 of them. Just wait, and you'll know when the Holy Spirit uh, falls on you. And so we want to kind of dig around in Acts chapter 2 a little bit today just to take care of some odds and ends. Um, so let's go Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Now, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Uh, the all there is 120 of them. So you had Jesus' apostles, but you had other disciples there, numbering 120, and they're waiting in Jerusalem. Um, and then you have that term, the day of Pentecost. What I have found is that a lot of people are intimidated by that word, Pentecost. All right. Does anyone know what that word means? 50. It's a very intimidating word, right? 50. That's all it means. 50. The word penta is like five-sided, like the pentagons, a five-sided building. Cost is to the tenth power. So it just simply means 50. And if you remember last year when we did the Beauty and the Feast series, um, Pentecost was one of those pilgrimages feasts that people from all over the world would go to Jerusalem to celebrate. And it was always 50 days after the Passover feast, okay? I don't know if you know this or not. But today is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, we don't really celebrate Pentecost uh, here in America, uh, but we're going to celebrate Pentecost 
Sunday by talking about the first Pentecost uh, in Acts chapter 2. Now, I would like to take credit for that. I would like to tell you in my planning and my due diligence, um, I knew I wanted to talk about Pentecost on the last day, so I scheduled it to a T so it would fall on the day of Pentecost. But I had one of our deacons in my office, uh, Rich Arcaro, and he was asking me what I was preaching, and I told him, he's like, oh, that's great, it's Pentecost Sunday. And I was like, oh, it is? Uh, and so I, the Holy Spirit knew that, uh, and so uh, we're, we're, that, that's why we're talking about it today. So 50 days after Passover, after Jesus is crucified, um, the Holy Spirit um, arrives, and he arrives in grand fashion. We, we looked at this, but let's look at it again, Acts 2, verses 2 and 3. And suddenly... There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Okay, so some of this gets lost in paper, but it says a rushing sound like a mighty wind comes rushing in. Now, I have never been in a tornado But I'm told by people who have survived close encounters with tornadoes um, that when a tornado is coming towards you, it has a very eerie sound. They they liken it much to like a a freight train. Um, And and you can kind of feel things move. And and so I kind of envision the Holy Spirit rushing in like that's why it says like a rushing mighty wind. Like he comes rushing in like a tornado. Then fire rested on these 20 people in that room, uh, if you've seen pictures of it, uh, it, it's always displayed as these like these flames a, on top of their heads. And I, I always thought that was funny uh, because um, you could see everybody else's flame, but you couldn't see your own. If you tried to look, it would move with you, right? Um, you know, and, and, and so you, you've got this, this, this crazy, beautiful thing that happens. Um, it had to be um, a, a sight to behold. And when the Holy Spirit arrived, he brought with him gifts. And we're not going to talk about the the Corinthian gifts. I'm going to talk about something different today. Remember, the Holy Spirit is magnanimous, which means he is generous. And I believe he brought four generous gifts to the church in the New Testament on the day of Pentecost. And I believe he brings those same four generous gifts to elevate Christian church. And I just want to talk to them real quickly as we wrap this thing up. The first gift we see that he brings is unity. Unity. Look at uh, Acts 2, verses 4 through 6. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5 is the money verse for me. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. See, this is a pilgrimage feast, so you had to come there. So you had people from all over the world. Every nation under heaven was represented. At the sound of this rushing wind, they went to see what's going on. This multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, all right? So, like I say, I love verse 5 because people from every nation, every tongue, multiple languages are gathered together. Now, in our world today, 
there are over 7,000 different languages. Some of them are small, only 1,000 people use them, but uh, like indigenous tribes. But there are 7,000 different languages and dialects. So imagine if you would, we tried to do some kind of outreach project. We were going to have like an old-time revival and, but you had to RSVP, RSVP to it, and we realized real quick, hey, man, this thing's blowing up. We, we're not going to be able to fit everybody in our small sanctuary, and there's nowhere in Hiram we're going to be able to fit everybody. So we rent out Mercedes-Benz Stadium uh, where the Falcons uh, attempt to play football. Um, <clears throat> all right. <laughs> and so... In this stadium, I want you to imagine somebody from every one of those 7,000 different languages come. Like the whole place is full. And so there's somebody from everywhere in every corner of the world. And, of course, I wouldn't preach. I don't, I don't carry that much clout. We would have some special guest speaker. And let's say this guy gets up and he starts preaching in English, just preaching like I do. But every one of those people from those 7,000 different languages understand what he's saying. That would be pretty awesome to me. And, and I think sometimes we don't give enough credit uh, to that. <clears throat> if you've ever been outside of America, like on, a, on an extended mission trip, uh, you understand what I'm talking about. If you've never left this country, I don't know that you can feel the weight of what they call the language barrier. I've been uh, in Europe, I've been to the Ukraine, I've been in South America, and you know, in some cases, I was the only one in the room that spoke English, and I couldn't talk to anybody, right? There's a, there's a definite language, but it absolutely divides people because language is power. It's creative power. Our ability to create is always centered on our ability to communicate. Um. So, with that in mind, there's this scientific principle woven into the fabric of our universe. Uh, And in simple terms, it means that basically everything in our universe has a perfect opposite. All right, so just a couple case in points. If there's an up, there has to be a down. If there's a male, there has to be a female. Now, I realize those lines are are getting blurred a little bit. Um, If there is right, there has to be wrong. Okay, so here's an interesting question. If everything in our universe kind of has this perfect opposite, what would be the perfect opposite to what occurred here on the day of Pentecost? When everybody could just talk and understand each other. When for a period of time you could communicate with anybody, what would be the perfect opposite of that? You were paying attention the other night, Mike. Yes. The Tower of Babel. Uh, In the Old Testament, after the flood of Noah, um, about three or four chapters over, um, you have, and some time has elapsed here, you have people coming together and they have this idea to build this tower all the way into the heavens. So I, I want to land there for a minute because I want you to see that. I think it's really cool. Picking up in verse 3 of Genesis 11. And when they said to one another, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitum for mortar. Bitum is like what we would consider asphalt kind of. Um, they said, come let us build ourselves a city. And a tower with the top in the heavens. 
Now notice, notice what they say here. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed all over the face of the earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. So if you were here Wednesday night, we talked about this a little bit. This, they're trying to build this tower to heaven, and this is just a, simply a picture of religion. Religion is this, it's I'm going to work my way to God. I'm going to go to church, I'm going to mark off these boxes, I'm going to do some good things, and you know, I'm not really interested in, in the blood of Jesus, I'm going to work my way to heaven. Uh, the, the problem is, and the Babylonians, uh, are, are the, not the Babylonians, but the people building the Tower of Babel, they didn't understand that there was no possible way they were going to be able to build a tower uh, through the universe uh, up to heaven, right? And there's no way. We can, through religion, make our way to God. But relationship is God saying, no, you can't make it, so I'm going to come down to you. That is relationship. So these people are trying to build on religion. It was all about themselves. So look what God does, verse 7. This is God speaking. He says, come, let us. Now, who's the us here? It's God it's Jesus, and it's the Holy Spirit. Come let us go down and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from here, there, over the face of the, all of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and the Lord dispersed them from all over the face of the earth. All right, do you see the contrast here? In the Tower of Babel, you've got the Holy Spirit confusing everybody's languages, and you've got to find out who speaks your language so you can communicate and go build your, your, your culture or your society, which is what God told them to do in the first place. And so the Tower of Babel, you see the human spirit. That was the driving force behind the construction of the tower. With our human ingenuity, we can do this. However, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit made everybody understand each other. It was the Holy Spirit that was the driving force behind that. You see, one spirit resulted in disarray. The other spirit resulted in unity. Interestingly enough, in both cases, God used language to accomplish these purposes. So he came to bring us unity. So if you go back to the book of Acts chapter 2, here's what we have so far. Wind rushes in like a tornado, tongues of fire. Everyone's able to speak and understand each other in any kind of language. And more importantly, everyone would be able to understand the gospel clearly in their own language. That was the point of all this. So if you're familiar with Acts chapter 2, we're going to jump a few verses down. When this happens... Uh, people begin to, a crowd forms, and I mean a big crowd, thousands. And do you remember what they accused the 120 of, of doing? Drinking. They said, oh, they, they, they're drunk. They, they've been filled with, they're just filled with new wine. 
They've been drinking. They're, they're getting kind of weird over there. Um, and, and do you remember what Peter says? <laughs> he says, no, we haven't been drinking. Dude, it's like 9 a.m. in the morning. You know, we're not drunk. It, th- this isn't alcohol. And in the midst of this, we see the second gift the Holy Spirit brought to the church. He brought unity. The second thing is access. So after Peter says, hey, we're not drunk, he gets up to preach, and here's how he starts his sermon out. Acts chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. So verse 15, he says, no, 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 we're not drunk on new wine. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Joel was an Old Testament prophet. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I wish you could grasp the weight of that. I wish we all could grasp the weight of that. Joel, the prophet in the Old Testament, is making a promise to the nation of Israel that one day God would be ready immediately for anybody and everybody who would accept him. Now, why I find that so fascinating is because when you study history, particularly in the Old Testament, God didn't do that. God didn't speak to everybody. In fact, God spoke to one person. That was it. Like, you remember Moses? Moses had to go up on the mountain, receive a word from God, come back down and say, well, here's what God said. You remember all those prophets? God would just speak to one person. And then the, the period between the, new, the Old Testament ending and the New Testament beginning, there's a 400-year span, four centuries, generation after generation after generation. For 400 years, God was silent. There was no word, just silent. And think about today. We live in the greatest era of the church today because anyone can have immediate and ready access to the Father. He dwells in you now. He poured his spirit on you, and he can now personally speak to all of us. So Peter starts this sermon out. He preaches in the book of Acts chapter 2, Jesus crucified, Jesus resurrected. He proclaims the good news that the Holy Spirit is here. He's available to any and all who will surrender to Jesus. Now keep in mind, there's thousands of people. They're hearing the same sermon but in their own language. And then you have this huge, huge response, which leads to the third gift the Holy Spirit brought to us, life. Life. Look at verse 41. So Peter gets done preaching. Um, they repent and they, wanna, they want Jesus. So look what happens in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So right here it is. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 is the beginning of the new covenant. With God. This is the beginning right here of the New Testament church. This is the beginning of Elevate Christian Church. And it begins with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to notice it's this new covenant and it begins with life. 3,000 people now have eternal life. 
So real quick, what I would like to do is contrast that with the old covenant. The old covenant was the covenant of the law. That was all the thou shalt nots, right, the, the, the law. Um, Moses and the Israelites leave Egypt. They're wandering around for 40 days. They, they get to the bottom of Mount Sinai, and God tells Moses to go up on the mountain. He's going to speak to Moses. And you remember what happens when he's up there. God's up there with Moses. He's up there for, for some time. It just wasn't a matter of minutes here. And God writes on stone tablets the Ten, the ten Commandments. And tells Moses, this is, now bring this back down. This is the covenant of the law. Bring this back down to the people. And so if you remember, uh, you know, what happened, while Moses was gone, uh, God wasn't speaking to anybody. They, they, they didn't really have a defined leader. And so chaos ensued. And someone said, you know what we ought to do? You know what would be a good idea? Let's melt all our gold and let's make a big old cow. And let's just worship that cow. I don't know why they did it, but they did. All right, and so Moses, he's coming down. He's got these heavy stone tablets. He's probably a little upset. He's got to carry them all the way down the mountain. And he sees what's going on. And he is enraged. And God is enraged. And Moses says, get that thing out of here. Destroy that. He tells the priest, what are you doing? Get it out of here. And I want you to see how the Old Testament law started. Exodus 32, 28, this, this, this Old Testament covenant. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and on that day, about 3,000 of the people died. You see, 3,000 people died because the law only brings death. But on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit arrived, 3,000 people were brought forth to eternal life because the Holy Spirit is all about breathing life into us. And I love that. And something that helps me make sense of the words that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 3, 6, when Paul says this, Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant? Not the letter, the letter was the law, Not the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit brings life. So the Holy Spirit brought us a great gift. Unity, access, life, and then finally, power. Power. So all those things we talked about in Acts chapter 2, this powerful wind and and this fire and all these magnificent things that they were able to do, it doesn't end on the day of Pentecost. It doesn't end in Acts chapter 2. If you read the entire book of Acts, it will blow your mind, all these things that the Holy Spirit did. Over in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, um, they're preaching and, and they're being persecuted. They're, people are trying to kill them. People are trying to arrest them. And I want you to see what they say about them. Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Who gave Peter and John that power, boldness, and courage? The Holy Spirit. Over in Acts chapter 17, we meet this guy named Jason. 
Um, Jason was a member of a, one of the churches that the Apostle Paul planted in the city of Thessalonica. So he was just a, a church member. Well, he starts running around when, when Paul and Silas come to check on the church. He starts running around with them, and he says, hey, you stay with me. You can stay at my house. Um, well, the, the people get upset with Paul and Silas, and they, they want them arrested. They, want them, they actually want them put to death, and, and they're, they're trying to find these men. Well, they get upset with this guy, Jason. Because he's letting them stay in his house, and he's helping them, and he's hosting them. And so listen to what they say, Acts 17, 6. And when they couldn't find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. I love that phrase. These men have turned the world upside down. Now, how do they turn the world upside down? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to understand something. He has come here to equip you and me with that exact same power. Like we have the power this little bitty church here in, 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 in Hiram, we have the power within us to turn Paulding County upside down for the name of Jesus. You have the power dwelling in you right here, right now, to turn your marriage around, to turn your family upside down for the name of Jesus. That same power that was in them has not diminished. It is in all of us. But what good is power if we never use it? Or worse, what good is power if we only use it on ourselves? Once upon a time, some visitors took a tour of an oil refinery. And the tour guide showed them all the intricacies of the refining process, the vast catalyst chambers, the pipes, the heating vats, everything that went into refining oil. Well, as the tour ended... Um, one of the visitors asked the tour guide a simple question. He said, sir, you showed us everything except one thing, the shipping department. Uh, an oil refinery this size, you have to pr produce a, a huge amount of petroleum. Um, but I haven't seen where you put it in containers and you ship it all over the world. Tour guide kind of hung his head and he said, well, you see, we don't have a shipping department. Everything that is produced in this refinery is used up as energy to keep the refinery going. The church has to understand that what we do is for the world, not just to keep our church going. There's too many programs that churches run that exist for no other purpose than just to keep the church going. The purpose of the church is not to sustain itself. It is to give what we have away to the world. And what we have is the power of the Holy Spirit. When I read the book of Acts, I, I can see this church was an unstoppable force. Nothing could thwart what God was doing. Just as Jesus told it, said it would be, Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the, even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
And so you have this beautiful church in Acts that was powerful and it was spreading like wildfire. Um, not, not because of some clever planning by Peter or John or some awesome program, but because of the movement of the Holy Spirit. Nothing could squelch that church. Riots couldn't put it down, torture, death, any type of persecution you could think of. It could not stop the church. And isn't that the type of church movement deep down in our hearts that we long to be part of, to see people's lives changed and transformed, not by anything that we do, but by the power of the Holy Spirit who takes up residence in their, in their heart and they surrender to him and, man, watch them fly. That same Holy Spirit is here today. He has brought to us unity in the body of Christ. He has gifted us, every one of us, with unlimited access to our Father. He has breathed eternal life back into our souls. And he is here to empower the church. Charles Spurgeon said this, Without the Holy Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are ships without the wind, branches without sap, and like coals without fire. We are useless. And I agree. Without the Holy Spirit, we're not a church. So allow me to close not only today's message out, but this entire series out by hitting on something that we hit a couple of weeks ago. Um, And if you remember the SpongeBob illustration, um, we're going to kind of go that route. One of the hardest things to explain to somebody is that we have the same Holy Spirit of God that was in Acts chapter 2. He hasn't changed. He is dwelling in us now. He's not somehow tamer or practices more self-control. He's not like super refined now. <laughs> like This is the mighty Spirit of God that dwells in us. So those of you who are uh, getting some years on you, like me, I just turned 50 uh, a couple months ago, um, you're, you're going to identify what I'm about to talk about. Um, ha- have you ever, like, been rifling through uh, some old stuff, some old documents, or just stuff you put in a box and you throw it in the closet, uh, uh, and, and maybe you found some old pictures? Okay, so when you're my age, you're 50, ha- have, have you ever found a picture of yourself, like, from 20 years ago? Mm-hmm. So this week, in my office, I was, I was rifling through some, some pictures, and this was me when I was 30. I look at that, and I'm like, yikes. Man, what a baby. I was so young. I mean, I had so much energy, so much enthusiasm, so much life. I feel like I had the world by the tail. And you look back on that, and then you think about your life now. You think about getting older, and you think, man, I can't do these things anymore. It can be depressing, right? especially when you take that photo of when you were younger and put up against a current photo of what you look like now. (laughs) That was only 20 years. That was my COVID beard, by the way. So you got one picture of this young, energetic person who seems to have the world by the tail. And then you've got this old, tired, gray beard. We do get old. (laughs) 
we do get tired. Our bodies do wear out. We do slow down. But make no mistake about it, the Holy Spirit does not. He is forever young. He never changes. His power never depletes. Do you know what the Celtic Christians used to call the Holy Spirit? I love this. Anybody know? They called him the wild goose. The wild goose. Now that sounds a little sacrilegious maybe, uh, but I love it. You know why they call him, call him the wild goose? They used to call him that? Because they would say, listen, the Holy Spirit of God cannot be tamed and he cannot be contained. He's going to do what he wants and he's going to go where he wants just like a wild goose and there's nothing you can do to stop him. He is not old. He is not tired. He is forever young. He is forever free. And as we close this series out, I want to invite you to go on a wild goose chase with your life. The biggest cop-out that I've ever heard is, well, you know, I'm just waiting for God's will in my life. Like, God's not going to tell you what you're going to do 20 years from now. He's going to tell you what you're going to do today. Today's the only day we're promised. Today we get our daily bread. Today we walk by the steps of the Holy Spirit. Tomorrow will worry about itself. So I want to invite you to continue calling out, continue praying, asking for that power, asking for that unity, asking for that life, asking for that resolve for the Holy Spirit to change you from the inside out. Pursue him. Because he is magnanimous. The same Holy Spirit that turned the world upside down with ordinary, uneducated fishermen lives in us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.